Matthew chapter 9, verse 18. While he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him and his disciples. And behold, a woman who was suffering from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, If I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, Take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house, he saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion. And he said, Go away, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in, took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went throughout all that district. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I'm able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warned them, see that no one knows about it. But they went away and spread his fame throughout all that district. Thanks very much, Joel, for reading. <clears throat> Let me just get started. Yeah, sorry. Great. So now for the next uh, little bit, I want to try and convince you to move to Australia. Um, some of you don't need much convincing. I know Patrick in particular doesn't. But if you aren't convinced, let me paint you a little picture. Uh, I'll give you a little preview of just how good life is down under. Uh, so close your eyes. No, you don't have to. You don't have to close your eyes. You are sitting on a white sandy beach turquoise water lapping at your legs. You've got an ice cold drink in one hand uh, and you watch uh, the crimson sun slowly sinking into the Indian Ocean. Oh, what's that you smell? It's tucker, which is dinner. Barbecue, Angus steak, premium Aussie sausages, no shrimp, that's not a thing. We don't put shrimp on the barbie. Uh, and it's a quarter of the price it would be at Tesco. Then as you drive home in your four wheel drive, you flick on the radio, the weatherman Bruce, he tells you the forecast for the next few weeks, and this is what it is. Mid-20s, sunny, 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 not a cloud in sight. And that's because you're not in England anymore. You're in Australia, and in Australia, it's always sunny down under. And I know that's a bit of a silly preview, isn't it, uh, to try and convince you to relocate to Australia. But in a much more serious way, in our passage today, Matthew, he gives us a little preview to try and convince us to relocate to Jesus's kingdom. And he gives us, he does that by giving us a little taster of what life could be like in Jesus's new kingdom. And uh, actually, this is something we, uh, we really need to hear. Because <clears throat> if we're exploring Christianity, 
but we need to know why it would be worth relocating to Jesus' kingdom. Um, and for those of us who already call ourselves Christians, well, it's also important to hear this because we need to know um, why our move was worth it in the first place. Because there's a lot to give up when we follow Jesus. It's more than just ticking a box on a diversity form. Uh, it means denying ourselves, taking up our cross, following, being a bold witness for Jesus at work. And there's a great cost. And sometimes if you're anything like me, we're left wondering, you know, was it really worth it? Was the move really worth it? But we also need to hear Matthew's message today because as we think about other people and think about helping them become followers of the Lord Jesus, actually, when we think about it, becoming a Christian is a much bigger move uh, than relocating to Australia. I remember a colleague I had, um, we had good chats about Jesus. But a lot of the time, I felt like I was trying to get him to do something really crazy um, in following Jesus. And many of us were planning outreach events over Easter. And are we crazy to do that? Are we crazy to um, tell others to try and relocate to Jesus's new kingdom? Are we crazy to do it ourselves? But then if you think about uh, Matthew's uh, first readers, well, actually, relocating to Jesus' kingdom for them was even more crazy. It would have meant breaking with uh, tradition, with the established religion, the family religion even. And so Matthew's relocation strategy is to give us a preview, a taster of just how good life could be in Jesus' good kingdom. And so we'll see today that in Jesus' kingdom, we have, uh, firstly, life from death, and then... Um, mercy and sight and that's all for people who come to him in faith so firstly <laughs> in jesus kingdom we have life from death so I'll just read verse 18 now while he was saying these things sorry while he was saying these things to them behold a ruler came in and knelt before him saying my daughter has just died so picture the scene Desperate father rushing from the deathbed of his precious little child, uh, falling down before Jesus, begging him to help. Uh, I really hope none of us have had that terrible experience of losing a child. Uh, but I remember the funeral of a relative. She died very suddenly in her mid 30s. And uh, we all remember the pain uh, of her mother giving the eulogy, telling us how unnatural, how terrible it was uh, for a parent to have to bury their child. Um, and that's what this man has just experienced. But even in his terrible pain, uh, he says, second half of verse 18, my daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. See, this father believes that Jesus has the power to make his dead daughter live again. And so we're wondering, is this faith going to work out? Here is a ruler uh, and a ruler as in ruler of a Jewish synagogue. That means that he's a member of the religious establishment. He's a member of the religious elite. And he's looking to break with his friends, his colleagues even, and throw his lot in with the Lord Jesus. And so what must his mates from the synagogue think? This guy's lost it. He's crazy. And so we need to know, is this guy's faith in the Lord Jesus going to pay off? 
And we don't find out straight away because Jesus is interrupted on the way, picking up from verse 20. <laughs> and behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said, if I only touch his garment, I will be made well. And so we just heard about a daughter who's just died. And now we hear about a daughter who's in the process of dying right in front of Jesus. See, this woman's bleeding, it represents death in at least three ways. Now, firstly, her blood represented life for Hebrews. And so as her blood was draining away, so was her life. But secondly, her bleeding made her ceremonially unclean. That meant she couldn't take part in any of the religious um, uh, Jewish festivals or the meals. It was ritual death. Uh, but then thirdly, her bleeding also made her a social outcast. The social death, she had to be excluded from community life. No parties, no brunches, no coffee catch-ups, complete social isolation, a 12-year lockdown. Every day for 12 years, this woman had died a thousand deaths. You can imagine her pain. Imagine her loneliness, her hopelessness. But then verse 22, Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. See, her trust in the Lord Jesus is not misplaced. Her relocation to Jesus' kingdom, it means life. And when Jesus says, take heart, he means that she's no longer an outsider looking in at the good life. No, she's welcomed in to Jesus' life-giving kingdom. And so we've seen one daughter, <laughs> excuse me, experience life from death in Jesus' kingdom. But what about the other daughter? Uh, picking up at verse 23 now, verse 23. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making commotion, he said, go away, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. So Jesus' claim is laughable to the, to the crowd. We've seen the body. We know she's definitely not sleeping. She's definitely dead. Uh, and people today, they're going to find Jesus' claims laughable. And it will stop them from entering Jesus' kingdom. But in verse 25, Jesus puts the mocking crowd outside. And that word put outside, well, it's the same word that Matthew's used in chapter 8, verse 16. Chapter 8, verse 16, where he talks about uh, the demons being, sorry, he cast out the spirits with a word. So like the evil spirits, this evil crowd is cast out. But once they're cast out, look at what happens next. Verse 25. <laughs> when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. See, this girl's heart might have stopped beating, her lungs stopped breathing. But to Jesus, raising her from total death was as easy as waking her up from a nap. What a preview of life in Jesus' kingdom. Because if our trust is in the Lord Jesus, then this great preview will happen to us too. Uh, though we'll die, if we trust in the Lord Jesus, one day he will take us by the hand and he will say, it's time to get up, my little daughter, my little son. 
You slept a little while, but now it's time to get up. And uh, maybe you're like me and you can think of loved ones who have died trusting in the Lord Jesus. Well, we will see them again. It might seem like an impossibility for life to come back into their bodies, but the res their resurrection will not be too hard for the Lord Jesus. It'll be as easy as waking up from a really long nap. And this is what life could be like in Jesus' kingdom. Now, who wouldn't want to relocate to that? Doesn't that sound like the best place to be? Uh, but not only we have life from death in Jesus' new kingdom, you'll also have mercy and sight. That's point number two. And more briefly, looking at verse 27 now. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. <laughs> I want you to imagine just for a second how terrible blindness is. Well, I wear glasses so because I've sort of imagined actually. But to not be able to see anything, to have never seen a sunset, Australian obviously, to never see England win a World Cup in your lifetime, don't have to be blind, or to not see the face of someone you love, or just to not know what everyone else is looking at. But blindness in the Bible, it's a loaded word. It's an Old Testament word. Um, it represents being in the dark about who God is. And of course, to be cut off from knowing who God is as our creator, well, that's a fate, that's a fate worse than death, isn't it? And so here are these two blind men. They are in the dark. But like the ruler and the bleeding woman, they believe something incredible about Jesus. They say, have mercy on us, son of David. Do they believe Jesus is the son of David? Again, that's a, that's a loaded word with lots of meaning in the Old Testament. Do the son of David is God's promised king from David's line, who's going to bring God's perfect and eternal rule, restore peace and justice to the nation. And because these blind men believe that Jesus is that Davidic king, the long-promised king, they cry out to him for mercy. They ask him for mercy, not to leave them as they deserve in the dark, blind, but to give them what they don't deserve, to sight. And their cry for mercy, well, it pays off, doesn't it? Picking up from verse 28. When he entered the house, the blind man came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, according to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened. You see how good it is to be in Jesus' kingdom. They ask the king for mercy, and he has mercy on them. No arm twisting, no complicated religious rituals, no karma, just a simple request, just a cry for mercy, and the king gives it to them. And their eyes were opened. Can you see how wonderful it is to be in Jesus' new kingdom? And the, uh, the end of this passage is a bit interesting, isn't it? Because the two blind men directly disobeyed Jesus' order to keep quiet. And uh, we won't talk about this now. It's a bit of a shameless plug to come back next week. And we will talk about that in detail. Uh, but for now, I just want to make one more point. Then we'll think about application. So we've seen that... Um, relocating to Jesus' new kingdom 
is the best choice you can make because there's uh, you'll have life from death and mercy inside. But the question then is, well, how? How do you relocate to Jesus' kingdom? And the answer is point number three. Well, the answer is faith. Did you notice how many times faith comes up in this passage? Uh, verse 22, Jesus says, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. Verse 28, do you believe or do you have faith that I'm able to do this? Verse 29, according to your faith, be it done to you. See, faith is the way to receive Jesus' kingdom. It's the way in. Um, but faith is kind of a bit of a jargony Christian word. So what does it mean? Well, as we see from the ruler, uh, the woman and the blind man, it's actually quite simple. It's just simple belief or trust in Jesus, in who Jesus says he is, uh, the promised Davidic king, uh, the Lord God himself. And it's belief that Jesus is the one who can help, uh, the only one who can help, in fact. But it's also really important to see that faith, um, the new way to relocate to Jesus's good kingdom, is actually so much better uh, than the old way. It's so much better than complicated Pharisaic religion. Because we, as we've seen, faith is just a simple, quiet trust. It's nothing fancy, nothing complicated, nothing burdensome. And think about the other religions of the office for a second. I mean, some of them have seriously difficult religious duties and requirements. Uh, many have just started Ramadan. That's hard. And others will have even more uh, difficult religious duties to perform to get into their kingdom. And according to Jesus, their kingdom isn't even real. Uh, but his is. His kingdom doesn't compare to theirs. And as followers of the Lord Jesus, you know, the thing that we're calling people to, faith in Jesus, it is not difficult by comparison. Relocating to Jesus' new kingdom is by faith, and it's so much better than anything else out there. And so just uh, to think about application for a little bit, for us now, well, we've been given today a preview of life in Jesus' kingdom. Um, and it's not necessarily a promise that all our physical diseases will be healed right now in this life. Uh, but we've been shown what life could be like and will be like in the new creation if our trust is in the Lord. Um, but if you're anything like me, uh, sometimes we get so used to living in a world full of sin and sickness and disease and death uh, that we just get used to living life in gray. And so we start to think it's normal. Uh, but what a what a great passage to remind us that actually this is not life forever. This is not normal life. And it's a wonderful preview of our future. And if you're exploring Christianity, well, can you just, can you see how good it is? It is so good, Jesus's kingdom. And the way in is simple, simple trust in who the Lord Jesus is. But um, if we are, uh, people who say we follow the Lord Jesus, well, then it means we can go back today to the office totally assured, totally assured from what we've seen, that even if everyone else thinks we're crazy, that even if we look like fools, our decision to relocate to Jesus' kingdom 
uh, was the best decision that we've made. It's 100% the right call. His kingdom is so good. And then we can also go back to the office uh, armed with the knowledge uh, that the kingdom we're calling our colleagues to move to is so much better than anything that they uh, can offer or even imagine. And uh, as some of us plan outreach events over Easter, I mean, what greater motivation is that? No need for guilt. The kingdom is so good. But we also know, actually, that for our colleagues and our friends and our family, the way in for them is simple. Simple trust in the Lord Jesus. Simple trust. All we need to do is put the Lord Jesus in front of them, give them a little preview, a little taster of his kingdom. And so as you head back uh, to the office, why not uh, think about how you could put the Lord Jesus in front of uh, people? Uh, you could slip in a little line about what you've heard today during the talk, or you could think about and pray about someone who you'd like to try and uh, read Matthew's gospel with. Give them just a little taste of Jesus' kingdom. How about I pray? Father, we thank you so much um, for the goodness of Jesus' kingdom. We do praise you so much that it is so simple to enter. We do pray that you would fill us with hope for the future. Amen.